Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode. Well, all right. Not exactly. It's not exactly the inaugural episode. There's like there's seven episodes before this, but this this is the first episode that like we recorded, you know, on Sunday, and then it's going to release on Thursday. Anyway, welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Theory. I'm Sense. And today uh, we have decided to scramble everyone's brains because we're going to talk about postmodernism. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, post, uh, postmodernism uh, is a very complex and complicated issue that is arising more and more, uh, you know, out there in the, in the discourse and politics and stuff. And uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to uh, dive in. Well, actually, how, how did we come across this? <laughs> so, actually... I uh, I didn't really know what postmodernism was until a few weeks ago, so I was having these these discussions. Even, uh, even though I mentioned it in the first episode, but that's, that's cool. <laughs> just got around to it. Didn't right. know, yeah, I didn't know what it was. I, I knew that it existed, I, I guess. So so anyway, I, I have a lot of discussions with with heated discussions with people in you know about various topics, and and I noticed this kind of common thread. Um, that was creeping through in my discussions with people I might classify as social justice warriors or maybe third wave feminists. Um, but it's this idea that the environment around us has more power over us than we have over it. So, for example, like the idea that the white male power structure is so all, all encompassing that you know, the two women who watched Louis C.K. jerk off and, and finish in a hotel room while they were both giggling yeah. were just too influenced by white male power that they that they couldn't leave, even if they were even if they were uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. so this idea that that power structures are so ingrained in the environment that that they have ultimate control over us and we lose our ability to to act against them. And it's something that kind of makes me scratch my head um, because I, I personally have this belief about power that it's, it's, it's a very personal thing, you know, that we all have personal power. Our, our will um, is like the most important human characteristic that we possess. So to me, to like to give that up and, and, and give it to the environment is a, is a great fallacy. It's a, a great disservice well, to ourselves. I would point out that you are also a strong proponent of the power of advertising and, <laughs> and the power of environment. Well, that's a good point. So, so on the other side, I, I don't want to discount that idea. Like I think, I think maybe there's something to that argument. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, is like, I don't walk all the way there, you know? Yeah. So, so, so what happened? You sent me a video and I went down a four hour deep, dark YouTube hole and I landed on an explanation of po- postmodernism that was like an aha moment for me. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it came from Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, and one of the core beliefs of postmodernism uh, is that all or nearly all aspects of human psychology are completely socially determined. And, and I had this this aha moment, like, okay, so maybe this thread that that I've seen run through conversations with various people from various walks of life, you know, maybe it's rooted in postmodernism. Mm. So I sent you a text and I said, 
hey, next episode, let's uh, <laughs> let's do this on on postmodernism and and feminism and social justice and you know what this common thread is of and the environment versus personal power or personal responsibility. And I truly appreciate that because then I spent all this week uh, completely disintegrating my brain watching videos and reading articles about postmodernism. I'd like <laughs> so. to sincerely apologize to you <laughs> thank because you. thank you for that. because what what I've learned now is that like this is a topic that is so deep and rich that you could take uh, you know a year's two years three years worth of university courses on it and still be you know not an expert well the the, one of okay so one of the problems with postmodernism uh there's two really like if you're trying to like just get a handle on postmodernism it's it's like trying to nail jello to a wall and one of the reasons is postmodernism itself is largely based around the uh, the deconstruction of existing ideas. So it's kind of, it's, it's more of a thing that tears down ideas that we previously had more so than, than launching its own ideas. It does launch its own ideas. I'm not, see, see how quickly we can, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. You got to clarify um, though. But yeah, you have to clarify. And, and the other problem is it's it's such a broad concept, right? You've got postmodern architecture, postmodern uh, modern uh, art, music, philosophy. It 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 it's just a broad movement. And so to say, <clears throat> well, postmodernism causes this or causes that, it's it's really hard to to make that. So jump. so I should clarify that that when I when I learned this this tenet of postmodernism no i learned a tenet of of postmodernist philosophy right right well yes which is a specific uh, i would actually i would i would make a distinction between what you ended up with and and an actual postmodern philosophy you well i'll tell you what let me let me mention this um one of the things that helped me get a handle on this is an excellent video by a guy on youtube and actually i had you watch it as well uh, named Dr. Lehman. Oh, he's and great. He, yeah, he lays out like why it's such a, you know, why it's such a broad concept. And, I still and don't I, have a handle on it, even will, after watching the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we will, we will put a link to that uh, in the description so you guys can check it out for yourselves. But, um, but there is, there is a distinction between postmodern philosophy and what social movements have done with it. You know what I'm saying? Does postmodern philosophy necessarily ascribe that much power to the environment it does but in my opinion it does it indirectly and let let me explain what what i'm saying to get a grasp on what we're talking about we're going to boil this thing down we're going to go to postmodern philosophy and we're going to look at one of its tenets and see how that led to um you know this this belief in the environment and how it's how it's filtered out into the world the 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 best starting point that i can determine is how postmodernism views truth. Okay. Basically, postmodernism believes that humans are subjective creatures. That's that's just who we are. And they don't deny the the existence of objective truth. However, we can't ever view it. There there is no human that can look at raw naked truth and take it objectively because you're always looking at things. And and when you say like we're subjective creatures, you mean like like we filter, we filter what may be considered the object, hard, fixed truth outside. Mm-hmm. We filter it through our lenses. So by the time we're we're saying anything about truth, mm-hmm. 
it's it's not it no longer represents the objective it's, factual nature it, of it, what we're talking about. They believe that it has to have our bias and bullshit attached to it. Right. I mean, there's there's you know no other way to go around. I it. can understand that. So they use that to say that the world in history is really just a series of what they call grand uh, meta narratives. Right. The meta meta narrative is the story that we tell ourselves about things. So, the for myth. instance. We have a story of what the Enlightenment is. Now, that story in, encompasses uh, beliefs both, both pro and anti-Enlightenment. Right. But it's, it's like this story that we've all latched onto. And that the world is a series of competing narratives. We have a story about the discovery of the new world. Uh, and... Capitalism, communism, right. uh, the founding of America. All these things. Now, here's, here's, here's what one of the jumps makes. Since e- here's the big jump for postmodernism. Since everything is subjective... Right, and we all have these stories. They also believe that you, no one story, no one narrative is more valid than the other. (laughs) Now, that that's that's what kind of lets loose the dogs of war. But but we'll we'll get to that. But to to bring this around and show how it linked back to you know what you found in Encyclopedia Britannica, if if no one Meta narrative is more important than the other. If they're all determined through subjectivity, then the things that affect subjectivity become that much more important. Therefore, environment it has a huge impact on subjectivity, right? And becomes this, you know, this important thing. But I, postmodernism, I did not find. I'm not saying it's not out there, people. I did my best, but I'm not, I did not find a place where they made a direct. You know, there was like a postmodernist writer who was like environment, da da da. You know what I mean? Right. Well, the closest so, I found was Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. That, that and I, I believe well, it's. I believe that's. You know, that's a, a well-adopted tenet of how it exists now. I'm just saying. You know. Well, and I think the evidence for that stands. I mean, I noticed this thing that was happening with people. You know, and that, mm-hmm. that's that's what led me here was I, I noticed this thing that was happening in conversations that I personally disagreed with. You know, mm-hmm. and I. And, and once I started looking at it and, and nailing it down, you know, I, like I said, I came to this aha moment, like, wait, there's this thing I've been chewing on for three weeks, mm-hmm. you know, smacking me in the face, like there it is. So maybe, you know, maybe there's something there. So, so I think that is regardless of whether academics would challenge me on that and say, yeah. well, you're wrong about the, the subjective truth of the yeah, meta narrative yeah. <laughs> of postmodernism, <laughs> right, right. you know, like. No, I, it is true in so much as it exists, and I and I've and I've viewed it. Well, that's that's what I think. I think sometimes it's hard for for I th- you know honestly this is this is going to sound postmodern, but <laughs> there are two existing truths here. Okay, um, and I think a lot of the arguments about postmodernism kind of spin out of this, and 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 you know people say. There's a lot of people, especially on the right, who are just blaming everything on postmodernism now. They're like, oh, it's, it's postmodern. As much as you hear Nazi and alt-right and stuff, that's that's kind of the call on the right. Oh, it's, you know, it's SJWs and postmodernism. Yeah. And the the reaction is to fall back into that formal postmodernism, to say, well, you know, it can't, well, postmodernism is a, is a philosophy. It says this specifically, and you can't really ascribe that to this and, and stuff. But what what they're describing <clears throat> is what happens when postmodernism which by the way came about in like the 60s right gets taught in universities over a course of 40 years 
and then filters out into the public. So, so all these people who are in universities are now out there in the real world making decisions. They've and been stuff, subjected and to. They have been taught postmodern, postmodern philosophy. Tenets. Yeah, right. And and some of them may not. And in fact, most of them probably aren't experts on it. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, so you can't so expect it's their them to rough even interpretation, be, right, yeah. to be conscious and of it or have have chased the rabbit all the way down the hole. Like, yeah, and and how and I would say, I mean, like how how valid is that in and of itself? Because we're you know like so if we have this idea of what we intended modern thought to be or, or you know uh, realism or any other philosophy, what matters more? Like, uh, well, let's look at Marx. What matters more? All right. What Marx intended with communism or, you know, with Marxist thought or the Russian Revolution of 1990? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like which one of those two things had more impact? You know what I mean? So, right. Uh, well, I think when it comes to just just at a very lofty level, when it comes to like interpreting and measuring the impacts of things like we're at a total loss, man, unless you can hook it true. up to a meter yeah, and go, uh, it was nine amps. Yeah. Like dog you cannot measure the social impact of things that's, like that's like accurately point. you know yeah. again it, it, maybe that's a little postmodernist you yeah, know yeah, yeah. like there's no objective measurement of the impact so yeah. so at that point it just becomes another competing meta narrative yeah <laughs> you know that well one if of i can things... convince you to 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 go along with me and agree with me then it becomes a stronger you know a stronger meta narrative mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to make sure that we mentioned is, you know, it's funny when I was reading about all this stuff, it reminded me of like you and me uh, back in our late teens and early 20s and, and sitting out on the back porch and, you know, we we're probably high as shit. And uh, not me talking. No. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, we weren't doing any of that. But anyway, uh, talking about stuff and, you know, you get into that conversation where eventually somebody goes, <clears throat> well, it's all relative. You know, and then and then you're like, well, yeah, man, if it's relative, like, you know, you can't deny those people how they live. And I realized that, like, without ever having been exposed to postmodernism, other than in society and culture and what it, what form it existed, um, we'd already touched on some of these things. So I think it's important to note that it, it's not necessarily it's not garbage. Postmodernism isn't garbage. There are things that that. Uh, you know, parts of it that are, I, I think, completely valid. Yeah, well, um, that's what I learned looking into it deeper was like, especially as uh, Dr. Lehman was explaining things, I was like, wait a second, like, these are some philosophical tenets that I sort of abide by yeah, in yeah. my everyday life. Yeah. Like, you know, these are things I believe to be true for the most part until yeah. you get to the part about, you know, the environment versus the individual. But then there's some jumps, right? And I think, you know, that's kind of what I was getting, what I was getting at with the Russian Revolution is people have a tendency to screw up anything. Right. So, you know, while there are things that, you know, I might agree with or I might disagree with, and then you let people get a hold of it and see what they do with it, and that's a horse of a different color. Right. You know what I mean? So, so speaking of which, like, what, what, uh, you know, what is post... I've, we got listeners out here who have probably only heard of postmodernism in our first episode, and mm. and they're still scratching their heads, which is fair, because like right. you could spend years yeah. um, and still not really just scratch the surface. So, like, what does this mean to the, to the average guy? I mean, yeah, well, I think... After it trickles down through the universities, and now it's here among us, like... Well, I think, I think that's... 
I think to talk about that, what we have to do is we have to look at how it presents itself in the universities. And maybe you'll start to see the way that it kind of, it kind of pushes itself out. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Everybody, you know, everybody, there's stories every day about uh, universities and the excesses of student groups and activists on campus. You mean like deplatforming people? Uh, Yeah. You've got people being deplatformed and everything based on the idea that their narrative is oppressive to a, to a minority group. And And thus the only way to fight that oppression is to keep them from telling their story. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, I think it's important to look at exactly what's happening because that's the front line, right? That's where, that's where postmodernism you know, comes first. Well, so, that's where it started. And, and going back to the stoner conversation, ironically, it started in the '60s, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and it, we we can actually say that the this might be the result of stoned conversations <laughs> between professors dosed on LSD, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so postmodernism started in the university. Um, give us give us a quick idea of like how it affected universities or, or well let me let me let me give you an idea of how it's currently affecting like i'll give you one example um so here recently there's a school out in california it's called pomona college and it belongs to a larger network um, i think it's five schools and they form some kind of network called the claremont group and uh one of the sister colleges claremont college deplatformed a speaker that was coming and the president of Pomona College said, you know, this is a shame, you know, free speech, you know, we should be able to hear opposing viewpoints and everything. And the students at Pomona College did not care for this very much. So a uh, activist group uh, comprised of students at Pomona College penned an open letter to the president. Um, I believe his name was David Oxtaby. And uh, this is a excerpt from their, their letter. Hit me. <clears throat> the idea that there is a single truth, quote unquote, the truth is a construct of the Euro West that is deeply rooted in the Enlightenment, which was a movement that also described black and brown people as both subhuman and impervious to pain. This construction is a myth, and white supremacy, imperialism, colonization, capitalism, and the United States of America are all of its progeny. The idea that the truth is an entity for which we must search in matters that endanger our abilities to exist in open spaces is an attempt to silence oppressed peoples. Wow. Wow. So, so to me, I mean, you're almost saying like the scientific method and the search for truth is, is totally irrelevant because we fucked up and and we did. I mean, there's some truth in that, in, in that, yes, white people have used this idea of whiteness as a truth to, to marginalize and oppress non-whites. Like, I agree with that, but at the same time, like, and Aren't just, we throwing and just quickly, the baby out with the bathwater? To quickly to quickly point that you know the science the the supposed science of eugenics, uh, you know it, there have been times where white people used science, objective truth, uh, reason, logic, you know, to uh, to to further white supremacy. But exactly like you just said, like so, does that mean like in the postmodernist belief they believe that power and you know objective truth are very closely related? Uh, that that power uses objective truth to you know to club uh, you know its opponents right as a weapon and but does that say anything about objective truth like I, I get that it says something about power I get that it says something about the forces of you know white supremacy but I yeah I don't know if you toss out objective truth right, right you know so it, it's it's kind of 
it's destabilized uh, people. And then it's also, it's destabilized science in regards to the university. I, I, I also got into some, some Noam Chomsky right. over the week. And uh, Noam uh, has very, uh, very strong feelings about postmodernism. Actually, one of the quotes he drops that I like is, um, I don't always disagree with them when I can understand what they're saying. And, um, and, that's, and if Chomsky's saying that, like, and Chomsky is a professor of linguists, a very, uh, uh, yeah, a very uh, respected professor, and he has a hard time parsing exactly what postmodernism is trying to say. Um, but you see this, this, uh, what, it, what I guess the right word is verbosity. In, in the way that, you know, these, these new academic papers are being written oh. and stuff. Oh, and yeah. It actually, it led to a famous incident back in the 90s. There was a guy named uh, Alan Sokal, and he was looking at, like, you know, what the postmodernists were doing, and so he submitted a paper. And um, so let me, let me read you an excerpt from the paper that he submitted to a journal, a scientific journal. Uh, he said, uh, one characteristic of the emerging postmodern science is its stress of nonlinearity and discontinuity. This is evident, for example, in chaos theory and the theory of phase transitions, as well as in quantum gravity. At the same time, feminist thinkers have pointed out the need for an adequate analysis of fluidity, in particular turbulent fluidity. These two themes are not as contradictory as it might at first appear. Turbulence connects with strong nonlinearity, and smoothness fluidity is sometimes associated with discontinuity, for example, in catastrophe theory. So a synthesis is by no means out of the question. <laughs> now, what do, you, what do you take from that, Sense? Uh, I'll take word salad for 800, Alex. <laughs> so it turns out that he's, uh, it's gibberish. Alan Sokow, he, he wrote a article, he wrote this article to prove that so long as you put a bunch of, you know, $5 words in there and, and dress it up and use the trappings of postmodern thought, that anything can get published in scientific journals. Right, and, uh, and ironically, I mean, I'm, I'm a high school dropout, and, yeah. and one, of, one of the things I noticed, like, moving forward in, in my school career that ended very quickly, was, was the tendency to do that. You know, you've got an eight-page paper due. Mm-hmm. And and what do you do? Well, you try to sound as smart as you can, and the ones that sound the smartest get the A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if if you're and 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 this is taking it to its to its very furthest conclusion. You know, yeah. like this is like the worst end of the spectrum to me is like when you can get published in a university journal in a, in a scientific journal mm-hmm. with total and utter word salad yeah, yeah is the ultimate embodiment of that like this proves that for a time and, and maybe they fixed it now i know they've come back and said like it's not as easy to get published right there so um, in a journal now because of what he's done here recently uh i think it was within the last year michael Shermer, uh who's over at skeptic magazine and somebody else i cannot remember for the life of me who helped him um they wrote an article called The Conceptual Penis, and it it largely follows the same, you know, what, what SoCal laid out. Like, they just, they, they're not saying anything. They're just dressing the stuff up. They didn't do, you know, any of the research or whatever. 
And um, they actually, they got it published, but they could only get it published through a scientific journal that you pay to have things published. Through. Oh, wait, there's Which, a scientific journal that you pay to have things There are published all sorts through? of scientific journals that you pay to have things published through. And this is, and, and, and on publishing, you're considered peer-reviewed? I mean, yeah, it, well, yeah, it is a peer-reviewed journal. So, I mean, so this company... I mean, Shermer and them, and and even you know SoCal back in the '90s, but Shermer and them, they got letter, they got a letter from the the reviewer who was like, "Hey, great work, you know, da 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 da." Capitalism and, corrupts. <laughs> yeah, absolute no, capitalism no corrupts absolutely. So, so the point of that though is that they could only get it published there. Um, they say that that was always their intent was to expose the you know that you can get anything published through paying it. However, other people think they were going for a SoCal thing. Yeah, and it didn't work. Well, you know, good. The, the good peer-reviewed journals were like, guys, this is nonsense. Yeah, you like we I mean? we got smacked last time. Let's <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's do uh, you know a little more analysis. Now that leads us to the next segment of our show. Yeah, because that is not to say that there aren't still problems with peer-reviewed journals. We'd we'd like to think that when we talk about peer-reviewed science, you know, we're talking about the scientific method and the search for objective truth. I mean, mm-hmm. I think when the average guy talks about science or even someone uh you know claiming republicans deny science you know mm-hmm. with climate change or something like you'd think we are all out here searching for an objective truth to nail down and understand the world better but we got a game for you today folks and i call it the summary of the abstract yeah we gotta we gotta give a quick credit there is a, an account on twitter that's called the new real peer review and all this twitter account does is post abstracts of either doctoral theses or uh, uh, journal articles. And uh, he, whoever runs the account, posts the abstract and lets you enjoy it and take from it what you will. So we've come up with this game. We're going to we're gonna take a couple of these abstracts. Um, we're going to read them off. We're going to give you guys time to kind of digest it and and figure out what it means. And then we're going to hit you with our summary of the abstract. So uh, I guess I'm going to kick it off first. Mm -hmm. Um, This essay is inspired by Kathleen Stewart's call to pay attention to the effective material and relational qualities of everyday life. And by the post-human imperative that we recognize how we are imbricated with all creatures, objects, and forces in our worlds. It assembles little scenes of weather in everyday life, aiming for an atmospheric attunement to the elemental and domestic, and exploring these through some of the work of critical geographers on effect and atmosphere. As I meander through moments and events of weather in the everyday, I keep close to the home. I keep close to home, literally, in these scenes of ordinary life. All right. I'm just going to go out and really quickly draw attention to the fact that she says, as I meander, which is a bad sign. But But if you take everything... <laughs> That she said here, basically, this article deals with the broader implications found when people discuss the weather. Bingo. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> this is science. It's science. This is science. This mm-hmm. is in a scientific journal. Now, you know, we start talking about social sciences and, and, you know, social sciences obviously have to operate 
from you know a different start point. Than, sure, I think it's, it's we don't have you know things we can measure. Right. That goes back to, to objective measurement, and maybe there's no such thing when it comes to social science. However, at, at the same time, like, is there science going on when we're listening to people talk about the weather? And drawing these big sweeping implications, like how do you, uh, you know, that goes to speak, there's currently in science right now, there's a, a replication pr- uh, crisis because they can't replicate any of these results. Right. You know, so let's, uh, let's do one more though. Okay. This one round is, two, round two. Here this one's go. really fun. All right. Round two. Hegemonic masculinity, a framework where stereotypically masculine traits are overemphasized, <laughs> plays a central role in sport, partly due to an excessive focus on winning. This type of masculinity marginalizes those that do not possess specific traits, including many women and men. I argue sport reform focused on mitigating hyper-competitive attitudes can reduce this harmful and marginalizing hegemonic masculinity in sport. I make this argument first by challenging the dichotomous nature of sport, especially in recognizing that all outcomes are a blend of winning and losing, that ties are relevant and informative outcomes to contests, and that winning and losing do not always tell accurate stories of the outcome. Secondly, I contend that expanding the potential outcomes in sport can help broaden the emphasis of competitive sport to take into account playing well and improving in terms of both the test and the contest. I conclude that these reforms decrease hegemonic masculinity, making sport better for all. Do, 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 Everybody should get a trophy. <laughs> that is that is the most long-winded way I could possibly imagine for someone to say everybody should get a trophy. I mean, this is this is the embodiment of of postmodernism. I, I mean, it's like the capital S science are accepting any old perspective <laughs> you throw out there as just as valid right. as the rest. Like, and, and you know what, maybe there's some validity to talking about, um, masculinity and in, in sports. And, and I mean, mm-hmm. for me, yeah. Okay. Maybe one loss of treating sports that way is now we look at everything that way. You know, we're increasingly tribal politics has become sports teams. Like, right. you know, we can talk about that. But damn, but damn, I mean, the, the problem, the problem that they're, they're getting into is it's not saying that subjective truth can be as valid as objective truth. Of course it can. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 when I look at something and I interpret it subjectively, I might be on the right path. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if we go to the atom bomb, which the atom bomb is going to come up later in a surprising way, but if we go to the atom bomb, everybody who is present at the atom bomb uh, test, saw the bomb explode, saw the mushroom cloud, and subjectively, you know, made the view that when we split an atom, this is what happens. Well, there's also a bomb exploded. Objectively, when they split an atom, that bomb exploded. So, so it's not it's not saying that subjective truth can't be as valid. It's the idea that they want to say that objective truth is less desirable or bad simply because it can be wielded by power. Right. And or simply because, uh, you know, we we can't view it nakedly like it has to exist outside of us. Right. And, and you know, I I kind of in a way I get it because to me, like the capital S science cult of 
hmm. has been wielded by by very powerful and moneyed interests for for a very long time. I mean, I don't think there's there's any argument about uh, you know cigarette big tobacco, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know steering tobacco research over the years or um, or government even even if you want to talk about uh, right wingers, you know how people will say that the government has kept the CDC from doing research on on guns, you know, for for whatever their interests may be, which right, are right. probably moneyed interests. And I actually have a story that is quite relevant here. Um, my daughter is in sixth grade, and she was doing a science fair project. And as I am wont to do, I, I typically let her kind of do her own thing unless she comes to me and asks for help. So she wanted to do, um, I don't remember exactly what it was. She had a couple ideas for projects, and her teacher shot them down and said they were going to be too hard. And she was disheartened. And I said, look, you, you know, you got to find something that, that the teacher is going to accept. That's why yeah. she wants this project to be approved. So anyway, she settles on this experiment um, about crickets and how the temperature affects their chirps, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we just kind of let her go with it. We bought her some crickets. We asked her what she needed. You know, I asked her if she if she had a handle on how to set up the project. Yes, yes, Dad, I got it all. I got it all. So right. I, I let her go on her own. Um, it comes time to kind of check her work, and and you know, it's a couple days before the project's due, um, and she has been telling me that that progress is fine, and I've got it, and I've got it. And I look at her work, and and I can tell like. She has just totally made up this chart. Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. There's like, you know, five chirps here. And like, she's written like 10 degrees, 11 degrees, 12 degrees. Like I can, t- like I should have been. It's perfect in uniform and stuff. I should have been involved in this from the get go. So I'm like, I'm a little frustrated. And I'm like, hand on my head. I'm like, what are we going to do? It's due in two days. You know, what time is it? I look at the, t- and start calling pet shops. because The crickets are dead by this point. You know, yeah, we have no yeah. crickets anymore. Yeah. And, and she tells me, and I'm talking to her she tells me well dad the crickets just wouldn't chirp you know i try to do everything to get them to chirp i i I shook them i put them in different places i put them in the dark i put them in the light and you know they just wouldn't chirp so what am i supposed to do she's kind of breaking down at this point and i'm scratching my head i'm like okay so how are we going to bail her out start calling pet shops and there's one that's open for another 15 minutes so i'm like well let's get in the car let's hope we can make it there and i call them and i'm like hey we got we need crickets you know do you guys have crickets will you please hold the door for me anyway we get to the store and I'm talking to the lady at the counter and, and she's kind of laughing at me because I've told her this story up to this point. And she goes, you know, it's interesting because when I was when I was doing uh, my my internship, I was working for a company that did science for for pet food brands. And she said, we all got kind of frustrated because we kept doing the research like we were taught to and we'd fork over the results and the pet food company would reject them. She said it happened three or four times in a row. And finally, the higher ups said, look, guys, we just have to give them the data they wanted. And and everyone was totally disheartened. And it, it turned her off of science. Yeah. She works at a pet store now. She said, like, we were there on the ground, boots on the ground. Hmm. And, and the bottom line was these guys weren't going to pay us unless we, we gave them the data we wanted. <laughs> so so that kind of hit me, you know. Anyway, as as time went on. I realized we had to make up our own data for this experiment. So, yeah. so we get back home and of course the crickets won't chirp, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no chirping. So I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I, and I finally realized, okay, in order for her to get an A, which is what matters here, yeah. 
we've got to fake this data ourselves. <laughs> so hopefully no one in your school is listening. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully your teacher's not listening. Oh, well, she's already got the A, statute of limitations <laughs> yeah, or something. Like, I'm, I'm not worried. Um, so me being the good father I am, mm-hmm. we have a conversation about how we're going to fake this data convincingly. Yeah. And and we go look up the experiment. And of course, the reason the teacher accepted the experiment is because it's an age-old experiment. And in fact, crickets objectively will yeah. chirp differently at different temperatures to the point where you can almost tell the temperature by counting cricket chirps. Right. right. I mean, it's absurd. So so we ended up, you know, learning what those temperatures were. Yeah. And we designed an experiment that we weren't gonna do. Yeah. And we fudged the, you know, we, we fudged the data and, and, and we made it work. So, so we got a math lesson in there, you know, we yeah. learned about it. <laughs> and no, and that's, and that's, that's an excellent uh, case in point. Cause here you have, you know, this, this woman who's working for, uh, you know, a, a, I don't even know what you call it, a lab, I guess that yeah. was running tests yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for the pet food company and the pet food company is going to take, you know, this junk science and present it as the truth and lead people astray in whatever way that's going to lead people astray with that pet food. At the same time, that that's there's the abuse of objective truth that the, the postmodernists are getting at. At the same time, you can tell what the temperature is by how the crickets chirp. That's right. Objective truth exists. That's right. You know and, what I mean? And we shouldn't we shouldn't throw that out. Right. Just and, because people have abused the idea of it. Yeah. And and to tie it to tie it back even to language, so what it what what ends up happening is we have it's kind of like a redefinition of words. I mean, I, w- I want you to think about that last abstract that we read, the one with the uh, the sports. I, I want to go back and look at a line. It says uh, he he said that he wanted to show that, uh, or he said he takes for for granted that winning and losing do not always tell accurate stories of the outcome. For that sentence to work, you have to change the definition of the word outcome because he, he's got a point. You know, sometimes you can have people who, who, who won poorly. You can have people like he says that are, that are getting better and proving. So, I mean, is it, is so it's it, a win for them. Is it a loss? You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, when I look up at the scoreboard, the home team has 21 points. Right. And, and that's the and outcome. The visitor, and that is the outcome. So, Saying that they won based on the rules that we all agreed on is an accurate representation right. of the outcome. Objectively. Yeah. And, with, and there's no argument to exactly, be made there. Exactly. Well, unless you got like a shitty ref. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah fair okay. enough. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Maybe you're onto something there. Yeah, yeah. The, the ref but, is but a power so, structure. I... So that's what I'm saying. It has unmoored things. We are able. Is the ref white, though? If. if <laughs> If there's no objective truth, we have unmoored things and we can redefine words and, and, and kind of, you know, I mean, if subjective truth is, is right up there with objective truth, how I subjectively define a word is just as valid as anything right. else. And, and, you know, we've talked about how it affects university, but it filters down from, from university into common people as well. I mean, talk about redefining things, the, the word racism has been completely redefined Mm -hmm. and i started hearing this four or five years ago that you know fuck what webster says about racism fuck what you knew about racism uh racism is power plus prejudice right which to me when i when i unpack that and i digest it is just an absolute 
complete fallacy. Right. If if racism is power plus prejudice, and they go on to use this to say that you can't be racist against people who have power. Right. What? what? So what <laughs> yeah. you're saying, if you take this to be to be truth, what you're saying is A, black people have no power. Hmm. Racism is power plus prejudice. You can't be racist against people who have power. Thus, if you're racist against someone, they must, by definition, have no power. Right. I would say if you're a black person believing this about yourself, you are giving to the universe an, an inordinate amount of your own personal power. Hmm. Now, I, I, that's not I think, to say... I think it's important to clarify, though, that the, the belief is uh, structural power. Well, thus we have the word structural racism. Right. And to conflate personal racism with structural racism... Is a, is a huge mistake. Because mm. I would agree that once you enshrine, you have a power structure, and, and the people who are in charge of that power structure are racists, mm. then the constructs that they create very well may be affected by that racism. That's disgusting, and it's wrong. Mm. Like, I personally believe every human being on the planet deserves the, safe, the same baseline level of respect and love and dignity. Like, mm. you're not going to convince me otherwise. I don't care... If you're trans, I don't care if you're gay, if you're white, if you were born with a fucking tail, yeah. if you were left-handed. Well, actually, that that brings up uh, that brings up a, a good side note that I want to make. So, so there is that argument going out there that that uh, you know when when white people on the internet or wherever claim reverse racism, what they're actually talking about is prejudice, and it's not racism because you have to have power plus prejudice, like. We have gotten away from the the term racism exists to label a form of prejudice. Like right. like we got a, we got away from that somehow. Like we made racism into its own thing. When I say there's you know prejudice here, that could be prejudice for any number of reasons. That's right. So we with the the English language decided that racial prejudice we would call racism. racism. Now, that makes no assumptions about, you know, that's just to make it easier to say. And then, like you say, I mean, you can say out racial prejudice or you can say racism. Right. Now, racism, the 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 new definition of it is is just a whole beast unto itself. And, that, and it's, like really, it's really gross because what happens is you see, I hate to use the term, I, I'll use it all the time because it's convenient, but... You see social justice warriors hmm. using this idea of racism plus power to shut down people because they're white. Right. And, and, and they'll tell you that's not happening. But I tell you what, if you go join the conversation, I challenge you all. Go on Twitter. Talk about it. Hmm. Ask the people who are vocal. Um, you will see what happens when a white man disagrees with any part of the SJW agenda. What they, if they cannot argue the point... They go to, well, you're a privileged white man, thus your voice doesn't matter. It's the same thing they say to deplatform white mm. people. Uh, it's like the, who was that? Um, was it Armored Skeptic uh, in the debate? And, and the guy said, he said, so by your, by your logic, a black woman should be sitting where you are. And the guy goes, you're right. I should probably get up and leave. <laughs> like, to me, you know, that's the logical, the logical end of this is like, yeah is like, yes, it is racism against white people, and you're doing it in the name of, of 
being not a racist, but you've changed the language in such a way there's, to there's, create a shield for it. There's something questionable about the idea that, that certain, I mean, well, I mean, actually, yeah, let's say that out loud. So what he's saying there is certain people uh, don't have a right to have an opinion that's right. Something that involves certain, you know what I mean. So what if what if we carried that out and said that uh, there is no way, um, let's see, that uh, people who do not have fair skin uh, can have anything to say about suntan lotion. You you know what I mean? I, it, like the implications uh, are broad, and it sounds we're silly. We're all people. We're all humans. Like we but, all have reasoning faculties. We have our 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 prejudices. We have. We'll talk about implicit bias one day, but, you know, we all have things going on, but I'm, you kind of, for any of this to work, you sort of have to believe that we can all rise above that. Right. Like, that's the plan, right? And you and know? let's assume for a second that it's true, right? Let's assume for a second that that white people are so enshrined in white power that we shouldn't be talking. We shouldn't be doing this podcast, and mm. we should be letting uh, letting other people even have our jobs or go so far as the woman who asked, who told everyone. And in fact, there's a woman on Facebook who, who tells white people to just send her money to her PayPal. You know, mm-hmm. there was the woman who called for people to give their houses to, to a black person. Like, mm-hmm. so let's go ahead and, and assume that that is the correct course of action. What happens when black people become the power? Right. Then all of a sudden, can you not be racist against black people? Well, that's that's one of the and and to come back to postmodernism, that's one of the cute things about postmodernism, right? It's concerned with deconstructing these these dominant meta narratives, right? But what happens if if postmodernism is correct? Well, then it's the dominant meta narrative. Therefore, according to postmodernism, <laughs> you know, and, and thus we've arise, arrived arrived no, at post postmodernism already. In yeah, fact, yeah. Actually, here, us, us plebs are sitting here talking believe about it or not, postmodernism. Believe but it's it or not, that. that is the next evolution in philosophy. Is it's called post postmodernism because we can't think up good names for anything. But um, but yeah, so I mean, so going back to that, it's it's like you say, what are what is our aims? What's our intentions? Was our intentions to lift everyone up? Or to swap the power dynamic, and 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 that that would be that's my a question. really good way of you putting know, it. What, yeah. What happens? Because I always thought I, I saw an article um, a while back, um, and oh, I can't remember very much about it, but I do remember the basic gist of the article was that um, equality feels like oppression to white people, and I. I I get what it's saying to an extent. I see how you know having having some things might feel like a pre- having to that only basic- that only makes sense if you're trying to bring white people down where the unprivileged are yeah. but to me that's not the idea if i have minute, white privilege i will say it's true in the sense that having to uh, like for instance having to uh be decent to someone when you didn't used to have to you know Feels sure. like oppression yeah yeah it will you know can feel, it can feel like a form of oppression if you're being you know da 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 but Exactly, exactly your point. Like, so do we want white people to feel oppressed or do we want everyone to not feel oppressed? Well, you know? well, I guess that's my point is if, if I do, and I do have white, I do have white privilege. You can't, I don't think we can deny that in today's day and age. Like I don't get treated the same as someone with black skin everywhere I go. Now there are some, some places that white privilege does not benefit me. 
Um, there are some places where people would say my white privilege is more of a benefit than it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think I do because racist people, lots of racist people made America and, and the institutions where we still see echoes of, of 1950s, 1800s racisms. Like we, we right. still see echoes of it. And I think it's getting better. And I don't think there's any question about it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, we the fucking civil war speaks to that. Like yeah. there's a lot of white people who understand that, that that's not the way to go. And we fucked up and, and we made a mistake. But here's the thing. If I do have white privilege, my goal is to bring everyone else to my point of privilege. Right. Because right. really what white privilege is 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 respect and dignity and mm-hmm. and and what we've done is deny that respect and dignity to the to the non-whites. Yeah. So so moving forward I feel like the best plan of action is to to go ahead and grant that respect and dignity mm-hmm. to to all of the oppressed. Not not to take it away from whites and 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 put us in the same place we I say we very loosely because yeah. it's not a royal we. Right. Um you know, it's not to put us in the same place of the people we oppressed. Like, no, we messed up. We made a mistake. Let's not make more. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's stop making the mistake. Well, it's it's weird, too, like how how fascinated um, the conversation has has become with race. Like like so I thought when when I was, you know, in elementary school back in the 90s, like looking at, at culture and media and stuff. That's what I thought we were striving to get away from race. Well, that's called I, colorblindness now. And, and ironically, yeah. the SJW, um, you know, talking point is that colorblindness, the idea of colorblindness or that we should all be treated equally is actually a product of white supremacy itself and thus is racist. Well, which, I, think, I think the idea is that that is, uh, you know, white people saying they're colorblind is them trying to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it and right. just and just go on and here you have you know all these uh, this oppressive system the structural racism institutional racism um, but they don't want to deal with it they just want to say well I'm colorblind so you know I That's teach right. my kids to be colorblind and and there's it, there's this, a small element like, of truth like to that this is like postmodernism right there's a small element of truth to that but but no, wait a minute, dude. Colorblindness is the goal. Like, right. it's the ultimate goal. I think it was, uh, uh, oh, who the fuck said that? Um, uh, Morgan Freeman hmm. said, you know, my goal is is for you not to look at me and say I'm a black man, yeah. but to look at me and say I'm a man. And, right. I, and I agree with him. Like, right. and But I'd, I'd be told... That that's racist in itself because I'm not acknowledging his his blackness and it's it's not to take away from blackness but truthfully race itself is just a social construct. In fact, science science capital S has long thrown out the concept of race as a useful uh, as a useful container. Mm-hmm. Like there's not enough genetic genetic variation to even justify race as a scientific construct. Now, granted, we've as a society you know, if we decide something's real and, and we talk about it for long enough and we make rules based on it and social compacts yeah. based on it, then it becomes as real as, as we've made it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, it's like you say, it's codified. It's in, it's in the Civil Rights Act. It's in, you know, so, I mean, so science can say that, uh, you know, race is pretty much meaningless and doesn't exist. But at the same time, we're, well, we have clung to it. 
Um, and, and I see, I see the necessity, right? So the civil rights act, obviously it was you know, <laughs> extremely necessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the, the standpoint is if people are going after people for a made up concept, you know, like race, then we should make a law that protects, you know, that, you know, kind of, kind of leans into that made up concept and says, well, if this is the basis you're doing it on, you can't do it on that basis. Right. And, and, you know, and that's I, the I, thing is like with the civil rights act, that's what we did. You know, we said you cannot discriminate based on race. Mm-hmm. Right. So why is it now that companies can, can post job applications that specifically exclude whites? Mm. You know, you have to ask yourself like, and, and maybe maybe they're in other countries. I don't know. But I, I've seen the posts. You know, I've yeah. seen copies of the, the job ads. There are companies out there going, hey, we want to hire you, but not if you're white. Yeah. Well, that's a I think that's a push out from affirmative action. And I think those are two very different things. I mean, saying I mean, it, they 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 walk. They walk Does it a similar not path. harken back to coloreds but, need not apply? No, no. And, and actually, and, and Irish need not apply. I mean, that you know. That was a thing back in uh, back in the late 19th century, early 20th century. But what I'm saying is, is the idea is to correct and, and even a playing field. But I think there's a difference between saying um, we want to and, and I'm in no way uh, supporting affirmative action. I have problems with it that aren't related to this specific, you know, parameter. But um saying that, you know, we want to hire this many minorities is a bit different from saying we do not want to hire this, this, this segment of the population. Right. And is it a matter of wording? I mean, is it a matter of, well, no, I mean, like, no, think about it though. Saying like, I'm going to go out and look for, um, you know, black people to hire for my company is a lot different from saying no white person. That's absolutely. Can can qualify for this company. 100% with you. You know what I mean? There is a difference there. Yeah. So, but but that is that is kind of like the outflowing. I think this this new the diversity thing has has become like an outflowing to the point where yeah, companies are saying no whites need to apply and stuff, and that's uh, that stems forth from the idea that you can't be racist against whites, right? Which stems forth from the redefinition of the word racism, which stems forth from if I subjectively define that word as such then that's what that word means, which stems forth from postmodernism. Wow, we are going to get nailed by some <laughs> university professor that's, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody can pick that apart, but I think, I think, man, it's, it's when you plant seeds like objective truth and subjective truth are on equal footing, you get bizarre expressions of it like that somewhere down the road. And, and here we are uh, again 50 yeah 50 years into postmodernism yeah of course this is when i would expect to see it at its zenith even though even though philosophy's moved on post post structuralism post postmodernism all that stuff this is the expression of that that movement yeah i i totally i totally get it and and really my biggest problem with with the movement is that like i agree with 80% of of the social justice agenda if you will like i agree that that trans people are treated poorly in some situations. You know, gay people are still treated poorly in some situations and, and black people are still treated poorly in some situations. I mean, I, I think that everyone, it doesn't matter. You know, again, like we deserve a baseline level 
of human respect and dignity. And, mm-hmm. and, and the idea is to bring everyone, if, if, if you consider the white man the pinnacle, hmm. then, then let's bring everyone up there. Let's, yeah. not, let's not pull people down. And, and really, that, that leads me to my biggest issue um, with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> ah, so I bet you guys were wondering why Jordan Peterson is in the title of this video. Well, <laughs> get a load of this full circle. It wasn't just for clicks. Okay, it was just for clicks. No, but you guys remember that video I talked about earlier. Um, the one theory sent me that kind of led me on a YouTube journey that eventually landed on postmodernism, which led to this show, in fact, because at the end, I you know, I recognized this common thread and sent him a text and said, hey, we got to do this show on yeah. postmodernism. So, so actually, in effect, I did it to myself. It wasn't, it wasn't since this fall. That's right. Yeah. That's right. My <laughs> apology is, is truly meaningless. Well, that video was the Channel 4 interview with Jordan Peterson that has now gone completely viral. Three and a half million views yeah. in like a week oh. and a half or something crazy. It's blowing up. However, really quickly, if you aren't somebody who's seen that video or know who's who Jordan Peterson is. Link's in the description. Uh, Jordan Peterson uh, was a university, is a University of Toronto professor who uh, took a stand against a law in Canada. Uh, it's called Bill C-16. And basically what this law did <clears throat> is it extended protections uh, to transgendered people. And uh, yeah, I think it was transgendered people um, based on the Ontario Human Rights Code. So um, if you follow the legalese and how the laws relate and everything, Jordan Peterson came to the conclusion that in effect, the law was compelling people to use the preferred pronouns of transgendered people, and he refused to do it. Um, there is, there has been a debate about whether or not the laws actually did that. Um, it it kind of boils. Mean? I mean, well, it boils down. the The bill says it's extending the protections. Then, if you go over and you look at the Ontario Human Rights Code, the Ontario Human Rights Code says. Uh, you know, you can't discriminate on this basis. You can't uh, use hate speech. Um, and I think it even somewhat specifically says um, that you can't call for the genocide of people who possess certain qualities. So that would be like calling for the genocide of black people or uh, Spanish people. Well, this extended it to transgendered people. <clears throat> so when he says the bill <clears throat> keeps me from... You know, if I don't use their pronouns, that may be a form of hate speech. The legal, you know, there's at least one legal expert that I read that came back and said, well, you're not calling for the genocide, so it's not hate speech. But the counter to that is that actually, yes, this law can be used that way. And I want to actually use something that happened in Minnesota to kind of illustrate that point. So the Minnesota uh, uh, state school uh, dis- not district, what is that, state, state school system. We'll school go board. School board, I'm sure. Um, adopted a similar rule. And there was a big hearing about it and a big to-do about it. And people were saying that, you know, you're compelling speech. And this is the quote from uh, Kevin Lindsay, who is the Minnesota Human Rights Commissioner. He says, people aren't being compelled to use pronouns. However, this does state that if you're using pronouns in a way which is different than the pronouns the person wishes to be identified by, that may constitute harassment or intimidation, which is against... Which are crimes. Punishable by a, by a fine. Right. right. Or, so, 
we're kind of playing like a semantic game. Peterson's saying, you know, Peterson said, if, uh, if I get fined, I won't pay it. If I go to jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. And they're saying, well, you're not going to go to jail because it's not criminal. And it's like, well, well what if happened? I don't pay the fine, the men with guns show well, up and happens take me if to a I cage? don't pay the fine. Right. right. And, and then on top of that, like, you know, to say, well, it's not hate speech. Canada has rigorous, you know, levels of hate speech. Well, in the Ontario Human Rights Bill, it also includes protections against harassment and, you know, intimidation. Wow. So, so it's, if it is there. It is there. It's just, you know, maybe the original way, maybe he did say hate speech at the beginning. I'm not sure what the genesis of that big kerfuffle was. Right. But there have been newspapers. Well, it's, it's like Jordan Peterson says himself, the University of Toronto's legal counsel said, yes, that's how we interpret the law. Right. So if, you know, if we have this big artsy discussion later, you know, that's cool and all. But, but, but wait, you know. the legal counsel was just a creation or end result of white patriarchy and the Enlightenment. Thus, their opinion is, is totally irrelevant. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it's true. That's your, that's your <laughs> no, viewpoint. But really, but, my, yeah. my biggest problem with, with Peterson, and I, and I ended up watching a bunch of Peterson, and... And I, and I like him. He's he's too smart for his own good. Hmm. Um, insanely insanely aware um, of situations, and I like that. And I think he's saying things that need to be said. Like to me, you can't you can't compel respect, right? Hmm. Like you can ask someone to respect you, and it's a social compact that we enter in. And either I do or I don't. If you if you want to say like you have to respect me, you know you can make me salute. You can make me bow. You can make me lick your boot. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're if a barrel of a gun is in my face, it's not respect. Yeah. So it's worthless. The the illusion of respect is all you're chasing there. So so mm-hmm. to compel people to use gendered pronouns is is a misstep to me. Now mm-hmm. and and I understand why he's so strong uh, in his vocal opposition, and he should be. Mm-hmm. Where where I feel like a failure from from Jordan Peterson is it, it, he also says that in the face of the capability to to do evil or to do wrong or to do bad, we ought to try as hard as we can to do good. Right. And I don't feel like in watching at least on the Channel 4 interview and, and a, a few successive interviews that I watched the next day, I don't feel like he came forward far enough in support of trans people. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think... So, so it can look like for a second, like, like maybe he is a transphobe and this is all just a smokescreen he's using. Uh, well, I think some of that confusion stems from early on. Like early on, he said that he would not use uh, preferred pronouns. Um, however, he's since clarified and basically what he was saying, and he even says so in the, in the Channel 4 interview, if a student come up to him and asked him, to you know call the student she he would um he said that he does not want to cede linguistic territory to radical leftists and in fact the presenter uh in the channel four interview she's like "Uh, so it's just you 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 won't be compelled to say it and it no it does go farther than that he will not allow someone to demand it of him right he will not allow like a radical leftist to say this is what you have to do i think that's fair i think that's fair and i think the the gendered pronoun issue um, you know, he also has an issue that he that he talks about where he says like, okay, so there's there's 12 now I think in, in Canada. Well, New York mm. recognizes 31, and then we recognize 41, and then yeah. you know when does that ever end? It becomes 
uh, it becomes more more difficult and, and a bigger problem as, as time goes on. So, and, and, and I think that's a perfectly valid statement. If we mm-hmm. use language as, as a tool and, and we expect it to be useful for us, you know, let's apply it in, in useful and meaningful ways. And, and to me, maybe that means backing off of gendered pronouns. You know, maybe, mm. maybe that is the answer. Mm. Um, I don't know. What I do know is that it appears that postmodern philosophy has led us to the point where everyone's subjective view of their own gender is just as valid as anyone else's. And we're being, in, in many places, compelled uh, to, to abide by that. And, mm. and Jordan Peterson is, in a way, speaking out well, against postmodernism. Actually, actually fun, fun fact about that. Um, he is, and he often cites uh, postmodernism and neo-Marxism um, as the the two things that you know he's standing up against. But um, <laughs> at the same time, Jordan Peterson did a interview with Sam Harris on his podcast, and they got into a two-hour argument about what truth is. Um, because as it turns out. Jordan Peterson kind of has a postmodern definition of oh, truth. Oh, say it ain't no, so. He kind of does. Say it ain't so. So, I mean, at least in my opinion, my understanding. Um, he he brought up uh, they were they were talking about you know whether um, science establishes the ultimate truth and objective truth and and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and he brought up um, something that I don't I don't disagree with. Um, but you know, he said, take the atom bomb for instance. We we learned about atoms and we decided that the world was built on atoms. And we developed the atom bomb, and we exploded. Or we based exploded on our the model of the yeah, atom. Yeah, based on our model of the atom. We exploded the bomb, and we can look at that <clears throat> and say, ah, yes, so if you split an atom, that's what happens. The world works on atoms. You know, that's evidence of that. That's evidence of that objective truth. His question was, is that true enough? And for instance, if those bombs... Whose question? Sam's to... Uh, no, no, no. This was Jordan Peterson. Jordan's question to He Sam. said, is that true enough, for instance... If those bombs then lead to the destruction of human life, was that, you know, true enough for humans? And is his mind that casts some shakiness on the objective truth by it being incomplete? So, <clears throat> I, that I disagree with. Um, <laughs> however, I, I, I do agree with the premise of it may not be the whole story. I, I don't agree with you know the uh, what we've said this entire episode that that because there's more to the story than the world runs on atoms you have to take more into account right doesn't change the fact that the world probably runs on atoms right you know what i mean and, so, and at the level that that yeah. we're using it so it does. so that's that is <laughs> yeah. a very postmodern yeah and it, it is <laughs> yeah and, and peterson gets he's you know he gets criticized for having a postmodern uh definition of truth but as you know it uh, it it filter it's filters out in so many ways you know especially these the gender pronouns like you said with the the 30 or, or 40 pronouns and i saw him talking to uh, an activist and they said well you know i just i just put the person's pronoun in my phone and when i see him i just look down at my phone to see and it's like <laughs> man like we are we're asking the world to do quite a bit here so for now our subjective... well, well really if you want to be a good citizen you have to talk about privilege hmm. if you want to be a good quality citizen and an ally to that movement you have hmm. to have a phone yeah <laughs> right yeah I mean, well you got to you got to have something to keep track 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh okay. I guess you yeah. could do it you with could a do pencil a notebook, and a pad of paper. Which would be weird. Yeah, it'd be really yeah. weird. Yeah. But I assume he doesn't remember all their names either, so he probably has a picture of the students in his phone so he can compare. So, like, maybe you're supposed to sketch in your notebook. A, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, so those yeah, of us who were point. born without art skills are now disadvantaged. Yeah. Um, in his in his idea of society, which yeah. I would say, uh, we just throw out the baby if, with the bathwater yeah. and toss all that bullshit out because, goddamn it, you're asking a little too much. Yeah, a little too much. Yeah. Um. So I think we've we've neared the end of the episode, man. We've talked about just about everything we wanted to get through. Um, I find it kind of funny because, again, you know, I'm a high school dropout, and here I am having a conversation on on postmodernism postmodernist thinking how how a common thread runs between social justice and feminism and and jordan peterson what the hell is going on <laughs> but in in grand sense and theory uh tradition i suppose i would like to present a solution not even a solution just a nudge towards a solution uh to a problem that i, I do think exists i think that language is a tool and language is meant to change and evolve over time. Uh, I also think that that should be a voluntary thing that happens out of uh, maybe necessity, um, but certainly not from the barrel of a gun. Hmm. So what I'd like to do is ask all of you listeners to examine your own language in the conversations that you have. And when you use a gendered pronoun and you say, I, I went to the store with him, I uh, went to the bar with her, Examine your usage. You know, why are you pointing out gender in that sentence? You know, what are you really communicating to the person you're talking to? And and is it useful? And I, is it useful? I would say there are instances where it is practical. Again, if I'm standing next to a man and a woman. Sure. And I want to indicate that I went to the store with that man. Then I went to the store with him. Right. So what happens when we add another man? Now there's two men and one woman. Right. So that seems practical in a very narrow subset of situations that that immediately kind of loses any sort of meaning um, as soon as the group is more than two and there's either uh, you know more than one woman or more than one man. So like, are you are you saying that transgendered people shouldn't worry about their their pronouns? No, because that's I, I guess I see that as a problem. It's, it's I, very it's not. I useful. see the answer not... instead of instead of walking forward uh, across that line and saying, well, everyone should, you know, should have the pronoun that makes them that makes them feel right. Maybe we should be walking away from gendered pronouns to to a point where language evolves and we say, um, well, maybe that, that gendered pronoun is practically useless. So maybe we go to a they-them situation. Maybe we come up with a new one. Uh, we're coming up with new words all the time. The kids are really, really good at it, you know? Mm. So, like, maybe there's a situation that happens. I don't think we should be compelled to. Um, and I think it, and I think when we cross the line to compelling it, it's like it goes back to that universal truth that you cannot force respect at the barrel of a gun. Um, I, I personally, if... If that's what you want to be referred to as, I have no problem with that. You know, I mean, I, you know, maybe with if, what? Uh, maybe if I don't like you, Z, um, Zay. You know, I'll do my best. I'm not. I'm not promising, but you know, yeah. If you come up to me and you say I want to be called Zay, I mean, sure, why not? I I, I don't care. You know, I mean, I really don't. Like, I will. I, and do you? Care I'm not going if to you can stridently be fined for for 
for mislabeling? Yes, absolutely. No, now compelling me to do so. So actually what I was getting ready to say is um, I don't care, so I'll do the best I can. I'm not promising you that I'm going to nail it every time. And if I accidentally call you he or she and you want to be called Zay, you're just going to have to live with that. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll do my best and give you the respect I can and try to teach myself to, you know. But that's how it has to happen. It has to be uh, my choice. It's on my terms because you're the one. If, you, if you're coming to me, if you're, this is purely my opinion. I'm not speaking for anybody else. If you're coming to me with a subjective reading of your gender and now the world's supposed to conform to that, no, it didn't. I mean, your view isn't any stronger than mine, right? I mean, they're all subjective views. So, no, I'm, the world doesn't change simply because you would like it to. You know, it, it has to be a decision that we come to as a whole. I tend to agree, but to play the devil's advocate, that's a totally irrelevant opinion because you are a white man living in a white man's world. Well, you are entitled to your subjective social justice opinion. I mean, that's... And it's just as valid as it's yours. It's just as valid as... Well, wait a minute. Then that means... <laughs> man, fucking postmodernism, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. No, but in all reality, man, um, I think we could stand to examine language examine our use of language i mean you wouldn't say i went to the bar with my black friend you know so why exactly do you say i went to the bar with him is it relevant maybe it is you know maybe there's a lot of situations where it is maybe not um, but it doesn't hurt to take a look at it, it doesn't hurt to take a look at it man voluntarily and and in the idea of serving the greater good i don't think mm. anyone wants um if you're a decent person anyway i don't think anyone wants people to be oppressed right I think truly like the human nature is to fight against oppression um, mm. and fight for good. So, you know, let's try to do that. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sense and Theory podcast. Uh, before we get going, though, Beanzo is going to drag us through the dirt yet again, poke all of the many holes that are in this episode. I'm pretty sure um, he's going to light us up. Yeah. Beanzo, why don't you take it away, man? Well, gentlemen, I'm forced to concede that I'm undergoing a veritable postmodern crisis. I suddenly acknowledge a dichotomy in my intense desire to establish objective truth in the face of your critiques of power, yet not perpetuate the dominant meta-narrative of this show, which heretofore has clearly been white producer hegemony. What is objective truth if not the cudgel with which I oppress your attempts to reposition the Overton window by speaking truth to power? Therefore, the immense failings and numerous falsehoods in your characterization of postmodernism do not necessarily make for an accurate representation of the outcome of that intersection of your respective subjective truths, and I will withhold my oppressive critiques in order to allow your notions of reality to propagate. Fellas, back to you. Well, even though I'm not entirely sure what you... Man, did you say something about my mama? Well, well, it, it regardless, it's valid, right? Yeah, it's it's totally valid. So, uh, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, you know, next week we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about Donald. Uh, 
thing that you like and when we go we're gonna talk about donald trump down, we come back every time we never go out man of screw style. this we never go out of style you got that long hair slick back white well, t-shirt and i got that good girl faith and a tight little skirt and when we go crashing down we come back every time we never go out of style we never go out of style this is world-class producer and fact checker extraordinaire beanzo of the sense and theory podcast i want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns i drop on the fellas Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys. But more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description. And feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in their feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out.